The 76ers put on an art show. Why in the world would they do that? We've really been probably talking about this and planning it for over a year now to find a way to celebrate the intersection of basketball with all of these cultural lifestyle elements that, that we believe make Philadelphia a spectacular city. And ahead of the team's nationally televised game against San Antonio, we talked to a new member of the coaching staff who spent the last seven years with the Spurs. I just wanted a different perspective on, on the coaching side because that's all I knew as far as a coach. So looking forward to the rest of the season. The story behind 76ers crossover and an interview with new assistant coach Ime Udoka on this edition of the broadcast. What's going on out there, 76ers pod people? How are you? I'm Brian Seltzer, welcoming you back to another edition of the broadcast. Thank you for bearing with my voice. Ever since the last episode of the pod, it's been a little bit creaky. Yeah, cold passed through the system, trying to shake it out, get rid of the congestion, some of the clogging. These are things that you don't need to know about. But what you do need to know is that to subscribe to our podcast, you can find us just about anywhere. You get your pods, whether that's Spotify, Pandora, Apple Pods, Google Pods, whatever. Just type in 76ers Podcasts or Sixers Podcast Network, and that should take you to our feed. And when you are there, please do subscribe. All right, on the menu for this episode of the podcast, we are doing it again because it was a smash hit last week, the latest installment of the Rosen Report. We're also going to sit down with assistant coach Ime Udoka, who had a good run with the Spurs before he was hired by Brett Brown this summer. But first, for our opening tip on the podcast, I want you to tell me if you've heard of any of these Instagram handles before. Well, you can't tell me. We're not in the same place together or talk to each other. But for the sake of this podcast exercise, let's bear with the figure of speech for a moment. Okay, here are the handles. Park Tyson, Carmaru, The Right Artist, Fresh Royalty, Parbleyan 1206, and Bam 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 99. Together, those six Instagram handles have a combined following of over 360,000. What type of content do these people create that has helped them become so popular? They make art. Awesome art. Cool art. Different art. Relatable art. The other thread that binds their artwork together? Scroll through the IG feeds of these six artists and you'll see the bulk of their posts are inspired by something similar. NBA players, teams, or moments in history, present and past. And to get even more specific, almost all their latest work has been linked to one specific franchise. For four days last week, at the new Fittler Club in Center City, think one-stop wellness shop with a next-gen traditional vibe, the 76ers held a free event for fans you might have attended called 76ers Crossover. It was an art exhibition presented by Reebok, and it was phenomenal. There were over 200 pieces of art produced by artists from all around the world, from Philadelphia to France, and also 76ers employees too, with 11 countries represented in total. The six artists whose IG handles I mentioned at the top, they were all featured prominently in the exhibit, which was set up inside one of the Fittler Club's cozy event spaces. Paintings and illustrations, everything from 
oils to acrylics to watercolors, mixed media, and photographs, too, were hung on white gallery walls throughout the exposed brick room. There were multiple installation exhibits, a series of jerseys hung from the ceiling, display stands with bronze sculptures and action figures, co-branded 76ers and Red Bull refrigerators, and a station where classic Reebok sneakers were being hand-painted with custom designs. It's great. So this is our photography wall of the exhibition. Elton, where are you? There you are. Do you remember when they took yes. that picture? But this is like a media this day. This is like media day. Yeah. 2008, uh, right. about 4, 4 p.m. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Cool. Those are the voices of 76ers team president Chris Heck and chief marketing officer Katie O'Reilly. And they're giving general manager Elton Brand a tour of the exhibit ahead of a private event for players, local influencers, and some of the artists who could make it to Philadelphia on 76ers crossovers closing night. For as certain as I am that I should in no way, shape, or form be giving advice or opinions on what makes something cool. I'm just as confident as saying that cool is precisely what 76ers crossover was. It was authentic. It was forward-thinking. It was the kind of event you just don't really expect to see from a professional sports franchise. I mean, the 76ers, they're a basketball team, right? Their business is hoops and winning games. Why would they want to dabble in, of all things, art? I think we're different. I think we're different because uh, of the talent of the people that work for the organization. Um, and I also think we're different because um, we have the opportunity to be different. That's Chris Heck, the team president of the Sixers. No good idea uh, goes unnoticed. And uh, we want to do great things on the court and off the court, uh, in the community, um, and the, in the, with the brand. Uh, so this gives us another uh, opportunity to do so. We love to do things in a very authentic, but a very unique way. Again, Katie O'Reilly. We believe that Philadelphia and our fans, um, we believe this is the best city and that we have the best fan base in the world and that we want to bring it to life um, in a different way and to celebrate the city and all that it has to offer. Um, and really, the fun part also has been to get to you know, humanize some of the players. That's been amazing. So yes, that this art exhibit was called 76ers Crossover was no accident. More than any other sport anywhere on the planet, the NBA exists seamlessly in a cross-culture space. Entertainment, art, music, fashion, food, you name it, the NBA has a place in it all. Not only are the Sixers an extension of the NBA's international brand, the club has produced some of the most important players in the history of the sport, period. And we're not simply talking about superstars who dominated the game. Every team's got a few of those. We're talking about iconic figures, players whose reach goes well beyond basketball. Look at every era of the 76ers' existence, and you'll find someone like this, whether it's Will Chamberlain, Dr. J., Allen Iverson, and there are more than a few players in the Sixers' current roster who could be next in line. So to say that there was inspiration to draw upon for a 76ers-themed art show would probably be underselling it. Here's Elton Brand. To put on an exhibition like this, it just shows the Sixers are a global brand. Um, you know, there's a lot of interest 
from around the world and what we're doing, and it's the tradition, the players that paved the way, to the current success of players like Joel and Ben and Al and Tobias and what we're doing now. So it's an exciting time for us. Katie O'Reilly. I believe the 76ers brand, we all believe that the 76ers brand, we have the most storied history of any franchise. We have these tremendous legends. You know, we always say you only need one name to be known here, and it's true. And so to see young fans, millennials, walk through our art show and stare at the pieces of art that feature Wilt or that feature Moses that were before their generation, it, it brings them to life and allows our fans to connect with our history. Um, and that's been, that's been a really tenpole initiative of ours and, and a huge um, foundational piece of our brand. Um, and in this art show, it's just been able to come to life all in one place. That's the background on the how and the why the idea for the 76ers crossover art exhibit was born. But what about the execution part of it? How was the team able to wrangle together a collection of, like I said earlier, over 200 pieces of Sixer-centric art from 100 different artists from around the whole planet? That's where Vincent Chang comes in. It really all started simply just wanting to merge basketball and art. And through the years, we started off from two artists uh, in our first show, and now six years later, we have 80 plus. Uh, so basketball art is definitely on the rise. Chang is the person responsible for curating exhibits like 76ers Crossover and has put on a couple of similar events in the past. He's also an artist himself. Chang goes by the handle at ConsciousBB on Instagram, his work earning him nearly 55,000 followers of his own. Like so many other things these days, the growth of the basketball art community and its popularity has been facilitated greatly by social media. As Chang put it, Everyone's now just a click away, regardless of where they live. He's constantly looking for talent to incorporate into the conscious basketball art exhibits. I definitely do my fair share of digging through social media and mainly on, mainly on Instagram where people brand themselves nicely and showcase the best of what they can do. And what I mainly look for through conscious is uh, art that has a conceptual depth, you know, hence conscious. We want to reach into a person's consciousness uh, to their knowledge of basketball and make that mental, uh, psychological interaction, if you will, and to make a deeper impact for the audience. To prepare for 76ers crossover, Chang started planning in earnest about three months ago. He contacted artists, gauged their interest, then finalized a list of contributors. Week by week, we have phone calls, we have, you know, different plans to kind of put this thing together, and we pulled it off, I would say. The undertaking was substantial one that the 76ers and Chang made together. As compelling as the work at the exhibit was, so too are the backstories of artists who made submissions. Take Tyson Park, whose handle at Park Tyson we talked about at the beginning of the pod. Less than six years ago, Park's world was more about bagging than it was brushstrokes. Uh, I run the convenience store. <laughs> it's a funny story. Only because it's true. <laughs> Hard as it might be to believe, that's what Park, a fashion major in college, was doing, running a convenience store in his hometown of Busan, South Korea, where he still lives to this day. The 37-year-old now has an Instagram following of nearly 55,000. That was uh, just uh, like a hobby, because uh, 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 I saw, my, uh, I was uh, running my store then, I sold my store, and after that, uh, what you gonna do now? So. 
I was started this like a hobby, so I posting in the social media every day. So one day, uh, some media's contact to me. So uh, are you freelancer? Can you work with me? So why not? It's a big opportunity for me. So yeah, that was beginning, and uh, more grow up follows uh, some some players reposting uh, my my pieces. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah, now I'm here. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it wasn't each sight. There was Park, decked out in all black, including his winter skull cap, on the closing night of 76ers crossover, getting the chance to meet and share conversation with some of the players who inspired a few of his pieces for the show. He said he watches the NBA every day when he's back in South Korea. Of course, I met a few players before, but uh, it's not close like this. So yeah, I uh, talking about uh, my pieces uh, with them, and Dr. J or Ben Simmons shake hand with me. It's so amazing. It's uh, yeah, I'm a, you know I'm a long time NBA fan, so it's really amazing experience. And it's exactly these types of interactions that Vince Chang had in mind when he started kicking around the concept of organizing a show like 76ers Crossover. He wanted to bring people together, get them engaging with each other through art, through basketball art, regardless of whether or not these people were artists, a uh, Hall of Fame basketball player, or maybe a hardcore hoops junkie who had never before even entertained the idea of setting foot inside an art gallery. Overall, just in, in this digital age that, that we live in, um, art events are in contrast, just a different experience. And where you can see art on your phone, but you see it, but you don't feel it. Because if you gotta feel it, it's gotta be real and tangible. And that's what we're here to do. It's the final night of 76ers Crossover and the team is closing things down with a private event for players, team executives, season ticket members, and local influencers. It was a pretty special, intimate setting. On one level, watching the players interact with each other in a casual, laid-back environment that didn't involve actually playing basketball was cool. It was also a kick to see them react to being represented in art. It's actually it's an honor, you know, it's cool. Um, didn't know a simple picture could look so cool in an art exhibit. That's 76ers big man Kyle O'Quinn. He was featured in several drawings, but most prominently in a photo series that included Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris, Josh Richardson, Mike Scott, and Matisse Thibel. Each player was captured immersed in a passion of his away from the game. For Simmons, it was playing video games. Harris was photographed in a lounge on a leather couch reading a book. Richardson was DJing. Scott was reflecting on his tattoos. Thibel had his cameras. O'Quinn was posed seated, legs crossed, hands in lap, fingertip to fingertip in a yoga studio. Being a part of that photo shoot was pretty dope. And um, to see the final picture that the photographer picked, it, it's kind of like, wow, that's me. Is it cool to see basketball and art interacting like this? Where do you see the crossover? Um, most definitely, you know, it's two two different worlds, but to see them come together and, um, you know, you see like art really showcasing the expressions of a basketball player in that artist's mind, it's, it's, it's cool to see, you know, just the animation and the not only the photography, but the drawing and the paintings and things like that, you know, this is how artists see the game and, you know, of course we see it from a different way, but to see it cross is, um, 
it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. There was a great turnout by the Sixers on closing night of 76ers crossover. In addition to O'Quinn, Simmons, Richardson, and Thibel, James Ennis III, Furkan Korkmaz, and Howell Nato were there too. The evening culminated with speed painter David Garibaldi holding a captive audience as he masterfully brushed and splattered bright paint all over a floor-to-ceiling black canvas. And in less than 10 minutes, he had whipped together a portrait of Richardson in the 76ers' new Liberty Bell-inspired 2019-2020 City Edition uniforms. After that, the rapper Philo took the mic for a spoken word ode to Philadelphia. What is Philly? Some people think it's just a city. Concrete and skyscrapers, bodies moving from A to B with Caesars. Then came the grand finale, which was Richardson taking over a DJ booth to play a few songs, the guard sharply sporting his new city edition under a camouflage button-down jacket. Ladies and gentlemen, one more time, let's give it up for Josh Richardson on the ones and twos! It was quite the finish. Here's Elton Brand. We really want our players to enjoy the city of Philadelphia. So when we can put on an event like this, Josh Richardson has a DJ set to have all the players come out and be together, be in Philly. Um, it just means a lot, and that's what the organization wants. We want our players to enjoy this city. Katie O'Reilly, the 76ers chief marketing officer. We talk about a lot that our goal at the organization and representing this brand is to, is to make the city and to make our fans around the world fall in love with this team and to love them just as much as we do. We obviously want them to be the best basketball players they can be, and we all have hopes of winning a championship. Um, and it's our job to humanize them and to bring them to life and to celebrate the history and to celebrate the brand and sort of see all of those different pieces intersect and connect. Now that the 76ers have successfully crossed over into the art frontier, what's next on the horizon? We think that this art exhibit, it's really, you know, the first of hopefully many events in our 76ers crossover platform, uh, our first foray into the art world specifically, but we hope to bring our brand to life um, in different cultural ways uh, throughout the coming season, throughout the coming year. So um, keep an eye out for um, events around cuisine and food, uh, music. Um, we, have, we have a bunch in store that's in the works, uh, and this was really just the, the first little taste of what we have in store. In the meantime, while the 76ers crossover art exhibition is over, there's still an opportunity for you to own some of the pieces of art that were on display. You can bid on items that appeared at the exhibit through the 76ers app through November 30th. Just download the app if you don't already have it, go to the Featured section, and click on the icon for the auction. You'll get incredible, one-of-a-kind art, plus you should feel good about your purchases as well, as a portion of the proceeds will benefit the Sixers Youth Foundation. It was kind of nice how 76ers crossover was like a relaunch of sorts for the Sixers home schedule because the team has been on the road so much through the first month of the season. And it's awesome that now looking ahead over the next couple weeks, the Sixers are going to be in South Philadelphia way more often than they are. How can you go and see them? Why? Through 76ers flex packs, of course. It's the perfect gift for friends, family, or as a holiday treat to yourself. Every pack guarantees seating to four games of your choice, 
includes an exclusive 76ers gift, 2019-20 playoff ticket priority, an interest-free payment plan option, and two tickets to a Delaware Bluecoats game at 76ers Fieldhouse. For more information or to purchase your Flex Pack today, visit Sixers.com slash Flex Pack. You can also email tickets at 76ers.com or call 215-339-7676. From basketball off the court to basketball on the court, the 76ers in the midst of a three-game homestand. The middle game of that homestand against the San Antonio Spurs, where Ime Odoka coached the last seven years. This past summer, he was brought on board by Brett Brown to oversee the 76ers' defense. Now, Udoka and Brown go back a ways. Brown was an assistant coach with San Antonio when Udoka was still a player, and also with the Spurs was Brett when Udoka broke into his coaching career in 2012-2013. I coached Ime, and then I coached with Ime, and now we're in a different part of the country doing the same thing together. And he's just first good people. He's somebody that... You know, I've seen for a long time, known for a long time, and I think he's an up-and-coming head coach. And uh, he has brought friendship and a history that he and I have both shared with San Antonio, and sort of just a, a new voice that uh, that I'm grateful to have. Now, Yudoka and Brown are reunited in Philadelphia, and they are looking to replicate San Antonio's championship ways with the Sixers. I sat down with Ime ahead of the Sixers' first game of the season against his old squad, San Antonio. Coach, we are talking the day after the 76ers deliver their second straight win over the New York Knicks, and one of the lasting impressions of that victory, defense clamping down, getting you guys back in the game. How are you feeling about a month into the season about where this squad is at right now? Well, we're feeling okay. I mean, we're still figuring things out with, with our group. Um offensively and defensively uh last night obviously it was a tale of two halves uh we we didn't bring any physicality much aggressiveness in the first half and you know give them credit they made tough shots especially in the first quarter but second quarter and even to the start of the third when they built their lead uh felt like we were behind the eight ball a little bit with what we wanted to do um but end of the third quarter throughout the fourth i think ben set the tone and kind of upped our aggressiveness, and that carried over through the, sec- through the second half to the end of the game. When you're coaching, what do you look at first? Do you look at how's the team executing in terms of X and O schematics, in terms of how we want to play in that way, or is it holistic stuff, like you said, energy, physicality, tenacity, that sort of thing? It's a little bit of both. Uh, obviously, you want to follow the game plan, execute that well. I mean, you can give them the best game plan. And and if they don't bring the effort behind it, like you mentioned, it, it's not going to work. So it's uh, it's it's probably fifty fifty. You know, we try to really get uh, specific on on personnel. You know, knowing our opponent and following you know what we want to take them out of. But also, you have to bring the effort and the execution behind it. So it's a little bit of both. When there is a new player on a team's roster, whether it's a guy like a Al Horford or Josh Richardson or Kyle O'Quinn, who will NATO in terms of the context of the 76ers. I feel like we as members of the media are always monitoring the storyline. Well, how's that new player fitting in and getting acclimated? What's it like for an assistant coach to enter into a new situation and get settled and acclimated? Well, it is different. I, you know, I'd be lying if I, if I said other, other than that. But um, 
you know, you, you've been somewhere for seven years, done things a specific way, and then, you know, you have to kind of flip your mindset. But that's part of the reason I, I was excited to come was, you know, be around different players, different uh, philosophies, and learn learn a different, you know, view of basketball. And, um, you know, we, we know the players well. I've, you know, been in the league long enough playing and coaching, so we know the players well. And for me, it was just more so getting to know the coaching staff and know the group. Um, I played – for Brett in San Antonio for two and a half years. And then his last year coaching was my first year. So we coached together for one year. So we have a good relationship, obviously, coming here. But it's it's different when he's in the head spot. So, you know, just getting to know his tendencies and what he's looking for, as well as the rest of the coaching staff. But uh, I think we had time in the in the preseason and before the season and summertime to kind of get to know each other, put our game plan together. And now it's just kind of once you knock out the first, you know, the first road trip, the first preseason game, the first whatever it happens to be, you kind of get a feel for everything that Brett is looking for. It's funny to hear you say that because I, my first year covering the team was, I think, Brett's second season. And I feel like generally between the 10-win season or now back-to-back 50-win seasons, the ethos of the guy has essentially been the same. But for you who encountered him, uh, first in a player-coach relationship and then in a coaching perspective, even if from afar. What have you noticed, uh, some of the evolutions of Brett or changes in Brett? Or what's different about him now that he's a head coach? Well, his energy level off top, you know, um, you know, as an assistant, you're there to assist the head coach. So in San Antonio, Pop does what he does and has done it for a long time. So we're kind of there to just pick up the pieces around him and, 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 like I said, assist for the most part. But once you're in the head head coaching role, your personality, your true personality comes out. And I think that's what's been great with Brett is the energy he brought here, whether it was winning seasons or losing, he's been upbeat. You know, he's kept the team going. And, and that's a credit to him, you know, playing through those tough years. And now he's getting to see it to this point. So really overall from afar, you know, watching him the last few years before I came here, you could see his energy. You could see the enthusiasm. He, that is who he is. And I think he's carried that over great. Uh, while they were losing and and up until now with the success. I feel like Pop says every season when the 76ers and the Spurs play and reporters ask him, well, did you ever think that Brett would have seen this whole thing through? He says something to the effect of, I would have been done. This is Pop talking. Like, I would have been done after maybe two weeks. (laughs) I'm not sure if I could have had the patience to tough it out. Um, did you ever talk to Brett over those years? Did you guys stay in touch at all? What was your relationship like then? More so when we played each other. Yeah. Um, you know, I we would have dinners here when we came to town. He would pop in for dinners. And then, obviously, same thing in San Antonio. We'd see him and catch up before and after the game. But, um, you know, it was, it was like I said, we didn't have to say much. His His spirit and enthusiasm was great with the tough times. And we all say that, like, if – the the team feeds off of your energy, you know, when it's not going well. Obviously, uh, they 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 see what what's happening now with the great team. Um, his energy hasn't changed at all. You know, the winning is expected now, but while the losing was happening, he was basically growing guys, developing guys, and that's a credit to him, like you said. But it is tough. It's it's something that would beat you down. You know, it's hard to win in the NBA, and and to go through a lot of losing like that for him to keep his spirit up and keep the team up was a you know credit to him. What are certain areas that 
coaches look to evolve in? And maybe you just are speaking for yourself. Like you said, you were in San Antonio for seven seasons as an assistant coach. Um, Brett's even said, I feel like at times that's a place where most people, you know, when you get your foot in the door there, you just stay because Pop has the operation down so much. Um, So maybe getting into that a little bit more, what are you looking to get out of an opportunity with the 76ers right now at this stage in your career? Just uh, personal growth as a coach. Um, like I mentioned, different philosophies, different being around different players, uh, different system. You know, I think that'll only benefit me and, and other coaches going forward to kind of make yourself uncomfortable at times and, and, you know, take yourself out of a safe situation. And that's what I was looking for with this challenge. Uh, obviously, we have high expectations. But for me, it was like a lot of people said that this summer. They were asking me, why Why would you leave? You know, they're asking Brett that or Pop that, the same thing. Why would he leave? And, uh, you know, that, that was my personal reason, you know, growth overall. Um I kind of we we all kind of say San Antonio's not the real NBA. It's, it's you know fantasy land over there where <laughs> the system runs itself. We got a bunch of great guys, blah blah blah. And you know I wanted to get back around. You know I played for five different teams and I was with some good, some bad organizations. And I just wanted a different perspective on on the coaching side because that's all I knew as far as a coach. So looking forward to it. The the group has been great. Uh, getting to know the coaches has been great. So I'm looking forward to the rest of the season. What have you learned over the course of your career? And I guess it's probably even some stuff that you could dwell upon as a player as well um, and then transitioning into a coaching role about relationship building and especially in the type of role you're in at this point as a coach, just the significance of relationships, getting guys to understand you, uh, articulate a message and how to deliver that. I honestly think it's the biggest piece of coaching. Um you know, I learned that from Pop with his relationship with Tim, Tony, Manu. I mean, it was like a father figure there, and, and you see what the players will do for you when, when they know you love them, care for them, believe in them. And so in my own way, I've developed the relationship piece, and I, I think it was always natural for me. Um, as a as a player, I was a role player, journeyman, and I always connected well with other players, so that kind of carried over to coaching. But I think it's the number one piece. Uh, anybody can do X's and O's. Anybody can drop a you know game plan, a scheme, but can you get the guys to execute it to believe in what you're saying? And I think that's the biggest thing. I've had a few head coaching up, uh, interviews over the last few years, and, and that's the thing I stress in there is the relatability piece and the relationship piece, and I learned that from Pop. I think he was a master at that, um, you know, getting to show guys that he cares about them, and you see the results on the court, and I think that's the truth. So that relationship piece is, is number one to me. Is it reading the room, reading each individual person? Are there certain general rules of thumb that you've acquired over time that you feel like, hey, for, for every guy, like this is a certain way you treat an NBA athlete, or does it vary case by case, year by year even? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is case by case. Um, everybody's not the same. Everybody's not going to respond to the same coaching, teaching, uh, scolding, or whatever. So you you know guys – just like I said, as I, when I was a player, you know guys you can yell at. You know you guys you have to nurture a little bit more, but it is a case-by-case basis. And some things you can say to some guys, you can't say to others. And sometimes they don't want to be embarrassed in front of others, so you have to do it, you know, pull them aside individually. Different ways to teach people, whether it's walking them through on the court, watching film with them, or drawing stuff up with them. So you learn all those tactics and, and what guys respond to. And so – it is case by case. Uh, when you get the group out there together, you have to give them one message. But while you're in there individually with those guys, building those, those relationships, I think it is a case by case basis. What's been like working with the dynamic of the 76ers roster? You have obviously 
players like Joel and Ben, who many would say, um, I think rightfully so, uh, have not fully scratched the surface of what they could ultimately become. Then at the other end of the spectrum, you have someone like an Al Horford who's been through so much and is so respected around the league. And, you know, you throw in guys like Tobias and Josh in between and then um, a steady group of reserves who have collectively in different areas of their career gained decent experience. So what's it been like with uh, some of these guys? Do you have any favorite stories uh, early on of getting to know some of these guys? Well, it's been great, first of all. Um, I think we have a, a perfect mix of, you know, young guys that are still growing, going to be in their prime, and then a good mix of veterans as well that have been around the league, seen a lot of different things. So the mix is perfect. Uh, you sprinkle in some young guys and some new guys to the team. Uh, I think that's what makes us whole. But um, overall, the, I've had relationships with a few guys, you know, coming up. So coming in, I would say Ben is the one guy I didn't know as well. Um I coached Joel in high school at Adidas Nations out in California before he went to Kansas. So had him for three days. He was on my team out there, and then I got to know him well and then saw him four months later at Kansas, like a totally different player. Saw him in the NBA, totally different player. So I've seen his growth over the years, and, and that relationship coming in was already good, and it's only gotten stronger. Um, Tobias is another guy. I had an AU team when I played in Portland, and uh, – we traveled and played against Tobias three times and he would come hang with our team, take him out to dinner and all that. So I've known him since high school and watched him over the years and stayed in touch with him while he was throughout the NBA. So I already had bonds with certain guys, um, you know, funny stories about taking Tobias out to eat and go shooting fireworks and, and, and everything, all those summers <laughs> together. So I do, I do go quite a ways back with those guys. Um, but overall, I, I think, um, you know, just getting to know the newer guys, uh, You've been around the league long enough, you know Ben or you know Al, you know Josh, you know, played against Miami, all those series. And, and so you get to know those guys from a, a personnel standpoint, but really getting to know their personalities. And so that's, that's been good so far. How happy are you for Tobias to see where he's at in his career? I mean, listen, the guy was a first-round draft pick, but the way that he's evolved and fine-tuned his game – over the last eight years, I mean, it, it's been a steady trajectory upward, and he finally this past summer landed in a situation where he's now got some real stability. Yeah, it's been great. Um, like I said, I've, I've seen him since high school. You know, he's a top 100 player, but not a top 20 player. And, and even if you take it back further than that, if you know his backstory a little bit, like the, the amount of work he's had to put in to get where he's at, uh, I, I'll let him tell it, but I think he was a chubby kid that – you know, would get up in five, six in the morning, swim, run, change his body and change his mentality. And I think he's carried that over throughout. Um, he's had a few different stops in the NBA, but it's really the end goal of where he's gotten to, like you like you said. So he, he's in a great place, like you said, stability with a great organization. And it's just a testament to his hard work and what he started as a high schooler to all the way up to this point. You've referenced your playing career, and uh, I, I could run through the list of all the different stops <laughs> you had on your Wikipedia bio, but it is likely, but it's it's featured in Europe, it's featured in the NBA. Um, how would you describe your career as a player for, for people who maybe didn't see you play and, and your journey? Yeah, uh, grind, you know. I was, I was a late bloomer coming out of high school and college and all that, and uh, just steady, steady grinding, progressing, and, and trying to – get to my end goal um you know I never got discouraged with the path I was on it was always the next step next next you know eye on the prize I only had one goal growing up was to get to the NBA and do something there and so you know I didn't really have a plan b and so I just put my eyes on that and 
and figured out a way to get there. Um, and I, I carry a lot of what I learned as a player into coaching. Um, like I said, I've been with a lot of organizations, learning good and bad, what you would do and would not do. And so I've carried a lot of that into coaching, besides the fact of being around a lot of different people, um, different organizations, whether it was summer league, mini camps, playing with the team. I got to cross paths with a lot of players and coaches and front office people, so I've built relationships that way. And, um, you know, it's just steady progression, and that's what I was trying to do as a player, and the same thing I'm trying to do as a coach is learn different things, uh, learn different people and ways to connect with them. And you really have been around the game your whole life, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, basically. father <laughs> played and all that. So uh, was there ever a point in time when uh, you're like, this basketball thing, nah, it's, it's, it's not for me, or was it always as far back as you can remember something that was so central to your life? Yeah, it was really, like I said, plan A since I was a kid. I, I made goals when I was young and sacrificed things to try to get to the NBA, and that was my you know singular focus. Um, um Pretty much, you know, being from Portland, Oregon, growing up, I watched Clyde Drexler. And once I saw him, I was hooked, you know, probably eight years old or whatever it was. And would listen to games on the radio um, with my with my father. Uh, funny story, the year they won the championship in 77, um, I was in my mother's stomach at the parade, being born a month later. So really? I, I technically say I was there. But, you know, it was just what I wanted to do and what I you – know, that was my goal and really don't have a lot of hobbies outside of it. So – uh, the work ethic and, and focus that I took as a player, I've carried that over in coaching. And now my goal is to be a better coach than I was a player, and that's you know what I'm striving for. Not that my opinion matters anything, but I think that is totally a righteous claim that you were at the parade <laughs> because I, I was born in Philadelphia, and up until 2008 I hadn't been alive for a championship. And if I had been in my mom's stomach in 1983 when the Sixers won, I would have 100% told everyone, yeah, I was at the parade. Of I was, was. Yeah, born in August. The parade was in July, so she was there. Tremendous. Um, why do you think you stuck of all places? Uh, you know, So if we look through your NBA career, correct me if I'm wrong, Knicks first, Blazers, Spurs, and your longest stretch was with the Spurs. That's probably where you got your most reps, your most opportunity. You were a starter there for a season. Why do you think it was with the Spurs that, that you stuck? Um, well, Take it back, I started the year in Portland before San Antonio. So I started that full year in Portland, and then that's what kind of opened the doors and got the opportunities in San Antonio. Um, I'd say the same reason Pop hired hired me as a coach there was similar philosophies, um, similar ways I thought about the game. First thing is I was a defender. Um, you know, they, they love defenders there. Three and D guys, I'd sit in the corner and shoot threes and then have to guard the best guy. And so – um, I got there the year after they came off a championship was really the only, only addition coming in at like 29 years old. They had an older team. So, uh, I just fit in well with what they already had there. It was Bruce Bowen. And then my turn to come in behind him and try to double team a guy. And so just keeping defenders out there, but overall, the more I got to work with coach Popovich, um, it was a similar philosophies. And I think that translated on the court as well. The way I played, the way I thought the game, uh, never the most athletic biggest strongest fastest any of that but I thought the game one way and I was really competitive and that's what they liked and I think that's why he hired me as a coach as well player coach in your time with the Spurs favorite memory is there one singular memory that that you have from that time obviously winning the championship my second year um I got spoiled early my first two years Brett's last year uh we lost with the Ray Allen shot basically in Miami so that was obviously a hard time, hard off season, and 
the motivation that our team had throughout the season, it was like we didn't really even have to remind them or it was just a feel burning throughout the year. And to get back to the same situation against the same team the next year and win it in pretty dominant fashion in five games, that's that's got to be the biggest uh, biggest moment so far of my career in San Antonio or in the NBA in general, just getting that ring and seeing what we went through the year before, the way we lost it, and then to bounce back the following year to get a ring. It's crazy because the 76ers in some way are trying to write a similar story, right? You know, a yeah. heartbreaking loss in a playoff series and now trying to move on past it. Yeah, I was, you know, I was sympathizing with them from afar last year, obviously knowing Brett and, and um, the, way it, the way it happened. You know, it was very similar. Last second shot, obviously. Miami, we we lost in game six and had to come back and play game seven. So it wasn't the last shot of the last game, but very similar situation, you know, where you have a championship. If they miss a shot, you possibly go to the next round if they miss a shot with Kawhi making that shot. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a similar thing. The fuel, the fuels, you know, should be there behind the fire and just burn all year. And you got to remind guys at times, remember that, that feeling you had and remember what you went through and losing that way. It should obviously push you to your ultimate goal this year. Is there like a pre-eve uh, before game dinner with Pop this time around, or just see him tomorrow uh, when you guys play? I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach him out, reach out to them now. Like I said, when we would come here, Brett would come join us, so we're always welcome to pop in there. They're they're on a seven-game losing streak, so <laughs> it could be you it's know not picking up my phone call, or returning my text. <laughs> no, nah, but he's 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 really good at separating basketball from the real world I guess and his thing is dinners and wine and food and all that so I'll reach out to him later tonight and probably go meet him he has a thing called the JV game where he goes to a another restaurant to try some things out before he meets the coaches so I might just meet him at the JV game I'm sure that's not uh that's if there are worst case scenarios I'm sure the JV game is not bad not at all cool he thanks so much thank you good having the chance to sit down with First-year 76ers assistant coach Ime Udoka. Great to be bringing back for the second time in as many episodes the Rosen Report featuring our one and only 76ers digital reporter, Lauren Rosen. It's a miracle that this thing got renewed. Listen, the only thing that we're missing uh, is a little ditty uh, to bring you on, a theme song, something like that. I don't think I have nearly enough clout for a theme song at this point, but we'll work on it. We've got to establish and demarcate our our various benchmark segments here on the podcast. Uh, Happy belated birthday to you. Thank you, Seltz. How does it feel? It feels good. I feel old. I am old, I guess, now. Uh, Entering my, I don't know, third phase of life. No, I'm just kidding. I, I feel good. I feel young still and happy to be here and excited to spend this next year in Philly. There's always people older than you, more That's often true. than not. That's true. So there is there is that. I'm just kidding. I'm not tripping over it. It's all good. So you spent your birthday, uh, lots of fun activities, uh, internal brainstorming, um, media availability over at the training complex, and that media availability came the afternoon following a nice 76ers comeback win at the center in which the defense seemed to really – lock in down the stretch and our guy Ben Simmons a very big part of the Sixers comeback that helped them erase a 17 point deficit absolutely he he had a spring in his step on both ends of the floor and I think everyone was really happy to see him excelling obviously everyone's going to harp on the shot he took at the beginning of the game and here's a shot by Ben the crowd loves it a three by Ben Simmons on the catch 
The crowd rising. He had that three in the preseason, but that is his first NBA career three, and the crowd loves it. That was wonderful to see. There's no denying that, but I love how he carried on with his game and, and, and had an incredible stretch. I think he played 42 minutes, which is a long time. Um, stayed sharp the whole time. I know Brett gave him a lot of credit for powering through such a heavy load like that. Um, and yeah, I think it's awesome to see him rounding into midseason form so early in the season. Also, a lot of talk about his leadership. There continues to be a lot of talk about that. And I think there's something to it. I think we have seen a different type of demeanor from Ben Simmons in year number three. He got to ring the bell. That's always exciting. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I feel like Brett is, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'm just going to speculate here. I feel like he is particularly selective and judicious when it comes to choosing guys like Ben or Joel as the bell ringer. So you had to think that, and I clearly Brett Brown was, he was pleased with how Ben sparked and rallied the troops in that win. Absolutely. Over the Knicks. He said last night that there were a lot of candidates for bell ringer. You could have gone a few places and thought there were some uh, candidates that, that should warrant consideration, but I thought Ben's intensity, defensive intensity, was as good as it's been. I think that But Ben's performance and his, his stability and intensity that he was, he was able to maintain for all of those minutes and all that time was what really pushed it over the edge for those bell ringing honors. So Time to put you on the spot. Who would have been candidate number two on your list? That's tricky. I mean, for me, candidate number two last night specifically had to be Mike Scott, I think, I if you want to look at most important stretch as opposed to most important overall game. Um, I think the way that Mike was able to heat up late just showed like what a veteran presence he is, um, someone that's that just can't be undervalued. His, his spot on this team can't be... Um, forgotten about in any way because he can come in and shoot four of six from deep at a very important time um and you just love to see it the fans love it the people love it can't get enough mike scott he's a first team all gifable guy absolutely all content and just the the banter that he brings Mm -hmm. to the internet uh for listeners that haven't checked out Mike Scott's social presence, it is something special to behold. Um, and the way he interacts with his teammates, his more even his more mild-mannered teammates sort of get in on the fun with him. So, I don't know. Nice to see. I think a lot of people recognize the intangible value of Mike Scott. But it's also nice to see a guy like that step up in a moment and really contribute on the court as well. And that's not to say that Mike Scott hasn't been doing that, but that was a really big spot. The Sixers needed him, and he did what veterans do. He he answered the call. Um, Brett he, called he him a silent assassin after the game, which I think is apt. He said Mike doesn't say a lot. He keeps most of his feelings to himself, but then he can come in in a moment like that and really excel and really shine where the team needs him in a big way. Feels good. Uh, you definitely want to help your team win and uh, be successful. So um, feels good to help the team, man. I ain't, I'm not chopped liver, so felt good. I think everybody was happy to see that sort of performance from our guy, Mike. 76ers have a lot of games at home coming up. Intriguing matchups as well, both home and away. San Antonio struggling coming in. Jimmy Butler returns with the Miami Heat on the road to Toronto, which is still playing well, despite no Kawhi, no Lowry. 
Utah coming in. It's a good stretch. It's a good stretch. It's going to be fun. And playing in Toronto, they're one of the other undefeated teams at home. So if mm -hmm. we could get in there and knock them off that streak, I think that would be extra special. Yeah, it's a great stretch. I love that they're getting so many reps in at home. I think from a continuity perspective, we keep hearing about wanting to get all the starters out there together. Ben and Joel, Joel and Al out there together. Um, being able to play at home so frequently, I think, is going to be really special. Um at least for the next few weeks. Also, Indiana coming in at home. I forgot about that. Denver at home within the next two and a half weeks. You get to go to Madison Square Garden. Is that an exciting opportunity for you? I do. I am excited. Yeah. Um, I went in college once. Tell people about my... your background a little bit. Sure. So I did my undergrad at Duke. Um, my first entry into the athletic department was I was a cheerleader for the basketball team. Uh, not something that I had ever planned on. I was a gymnast growing up. And when I got to Duke, it turned out they needed some people with the skill set that I had from gymnastics. One thing led to another. And all of a sudden, I was a pretty, I don't want to say high profile, but like as college cheerleading teams go, like we went to some cool things. One of them being Madison Duke Square Garden. Duke get nationally televised games every now and they then. They tend to yeah. every once in a while. Um, and I don't know. So that, that really piqued my interest. And eventually I started working for the athletic department, um, which was something that I took more seriously on a professional level, obviously. Um, and that one something leads to something leads to something. And here we are returning to Madison Square Garden in a very different setting. Um, but yeah, really excited to go back. Really excited to spend my Thanksgiving in New York with my Sixer family. It'll be great. I wonder if they light the, uh, I wonder when they light the tree at 30 Rock. It's got to be around Black Friday. You'll be there on Black Friday. Nothing better, you know, for those of, for those few that know me know that I hate shopping. Mm -hmm. uh, so Black Friday in New York City, not where I would choose to be necessarily, but in this context, could give it a more fun spin. Okay. All right. I think. I mean, does Black Friday no... Black Friday in New York City is scary, right? That's not really something that. Would you embrace that, Seltz? I I'll be honest. I wonder if it's scary. I wonder. I mean, New York's just big. Could it just tend to be, kind of like a normal shopping day in New York? Perhaps a little bit more foot traffic. You probably go to a place like Bloomies, and you know, you you get you get people coming in. I don't know. But I, it just starts earlier. I'll tell you, the only deal I want to score on Black Friday mm -hmm. is a Sixers win. There's no possible way we continue. Uh, we could continue with segment number two uh, of the Rosen Report. That's it. That's how we're ending it. Okay. With, a bad, with a bad pun. you got to love pun. it. Thanks for having me, Seltz. Of course. Thanks to Lauren Rosen. Thanks to Ime Udoka, new assistant on the 76ers staff. And again... Bid on the items from 76ers Crossover, download the app, go to the featured section, click on the icon. Perfect time of year to get a fine piece of exceptional 76ers-centric artwork for yourself or someone close to you. All right, we'll talk to you next time here on the broadcast. See you.